The aspect of security is one of the most important details to consider when making contact with a target. The perceived intimidation can help lower the temperature of any situation and minimizes the chances of things becoming confrontational. Today I'll be talking to my favorite, although not always the best behaved, security operative, my son Harrison, about some of the interesting operations we've done over the years, the many scrapes that I've had to get him out of, and the challenges that come with being the hired muscle in the family business. From Storic Media, you're listening to Codename Siren, a true crime podcast with Nina Hobson. Let's talk about your role. Can you remember when you started doing this with me? Because I can't actually remember. Like 2016. I think, when we had to go get that dude at the church. I think that was 2018 because that was what ended up with the mafia hit. I definitely wasn't 18 yet. Oh, no, you weren't. Well, you might be right, 2016. And tell me about that job and what happened. I was basically just there as like a security slash bodyguard intimidator kind of person. We had to go find this guy and let him know that he was under investigation uh, for something that he was doing. But the, the, we figured out the only place we'd be able to get in contact with him was at his church that he goes to a couple times a week. So basically, mum and I got ready, put on a suit, mum got dressed up, and we went to the church. We go into the lobby, and we can't find him. So we asked someone around if they know of this person or where he is. This person that we asked, we later found out, is like one of his little like minion guys. Well, every single person in that church was one of his little minions at the time. So they go get him. He comes out and he's very confused at first, obviously, because there's two people in front of him who he's never seen before who are requesting to speak to him. You look like you're in Men in Black. I remember that. So basically... He comes out, mum starts talking to him, uh, letting him know that he's under investigation. He's in big trouble if he doesn't fix his shit type thing. And then that's when you can see like the fear in his face come in as soon as mum lets him know that uh, he's under investigation for a pretty serious crime. He starts asking us all these questions about who we are, what, like, uh, what gives us the authority to do what we're doing. Obviously, we're not answering any of them. He then uh, pulls out his phone to take a photo of uh, me and mum. And while he does so, he's shaking. He's like trembling, shaking so bad that he pretty much dropped his phone twice on the way to bring it up to take the photos, which in my mind was fucking hilarious, but I couldn't laugh in the moment because I had to be serious and I was struggling to keep that shit in because that shit was funny because this like 50-year-old billionaire crime like syndicate owner is literally scared of a 16-year-old in a suit. So something at that point in time was quite funny to me. So anyway, we finished the conversation. He pretty much told us to fuck off. So we walk out, we leave. But as we're leaving, we notice that a bunch of his little, like, minion guys are following us. And not only that, they're, like, standing at the front gate to the church too, and they're, like, taking photos of us and staring at us. So we obviously decided that we couldn't go uh back to the car at that point because it was our personal car it had a personal license plate like it 
it's easy to pick out. If they had a photo of us, we probably would have been screwed. So what we do is we called an Uber and we get in the Uber and we go, don't drive to the destination that we put in the thing. Just go anywhere, do a couple laps, uh, but then take us back there because someone tried to run us off the road and we're just trying to get away from him for a little bit. So he's like, oh, he instantly was like, what? This is the coolest thing ever. Like, let, let's just do it. Let's just go for a drive. Sure, let's do this. And then, so mom then told him to go and pull up to an ATM so that we could get him some money out just for being like such a good sport. And uh, he like refused to take any money or anything. He said he was just, it was his best day ever working as an Uber driver because he was helping people who were being chased. So basically after about 30 minutes of driving around, Mum and I got dropped off back at our car and we went home. Then a couple of days later, I think I might have been at school when you first, you think you sent me the email. I did, yeah. She sent me this email, but then it instantly texted me and said, I need you to go, like, you need to read that email ASAP. It's, it's actually, it's serious, but it's quite funny. And I was like, okay. So I opened it and it's this big, it's this big letter from, from this dude that we had just spoke to at the church. It was like, it was basically like a shitty wanted sign. And it was just like, need any information on these, on these two criminals, who, on these two FBI agents FBI. who broke into my church and questioned me. I need to know if you know anything of these faces. He has a, he has a photo of a 45-year-old woman and a 16-year-old kid on there. And he's saying how urgently he needs all the information on these two people. And, and mom and I were able to just uh, laugh at it because... Coming from a grown guy who's supposed to be such a hard-headed, like, big criminal was just the, f- the funniest thing. Yeah, it wasn't just a 45-year-old woman. It was this 45-year-old woman, and you didn't look 16. But it's funny as anything. And like you say, he was nervous, and it was funny that we were now in the criminal world as these FBI agents that we actually have never had anything to do with the FBI and you were a 16-year-old school kid. Who literally had just left boarding school for the weekend just to do, go to see, just to help mom on a job. Yeah, because I, I had operatives down. You weren't even supposed to be on it, were you? I, I think I had people out and we had to act real quickly because we of where he was going to this church. But um, yeah, that was kind of, that was fun. I actually do remember you sending me a text from the back of the Uber and said, this is the coolest thing we've done, yeah, you're right. That's the one that started it all for me, basically. The one that really started was when you were four and I told you what mom did and you watched me putting my cameras on and then we, and I said, this is mom, mom, or is mommy then? This is mommy in your secret. You don't tell anyone who've got a camera. And the first thing that you did when we got out to the target was say, mom, what if this blows up? What if your cameras blow up? And at that point I was like, that's why I've never taken him and will never take him again on a job. And all these years later, you are, I will be honest, my biggest handful on the team because you are my son. And sometimes that line is very, it's a lot easier to, to not be mom and not be parent and child with Amy than it is you because you argue every bloody point you argue with me. It's because you always try to be right. Someone has to put you in your place. Right. Do you actually enjoy doing this? I do enjoy doing it. 
I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. Trust me, you'd know if I didn't enjoy it. So I'd complain and bitch twenty four seven about not wanting to do it. But you do complain and bitch sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But you get to do the fun stuff though, don't you? I mean, you don't do the the grinding and the hustle. You get when your role is to come out and and do the fun stuff. Yeah, I don't do all the boring office parts. What's the other jobs that you've done that you have enjoyed? Kansas. Operationally, what did you enjoy about Kansas? You know what I didn't like was that you went into his house and made us sit outside for about four and a half hours and we had no inkling or any idea if mum was even still alive. Me and Adam were sitting there in the car trying to figure out window points around the house and which ways we're going to go in from separate sides at the same time to see if mum's still alive inside. Harrison's referring to a case where the target was a career con man. We made contact with him to gather intel and at the time, he had no idea we were investigating him. Because you told me that the lawyer had come into the house. Remember? You texted me to say that somebody had come into the garage. Yeah, someone came home. But we didn't know who. Yeah, we didn't know who, but I now know it was the lawyer. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why it was important having you guys outside, because we didn't know what he was going to do. And then so one of you, I think you texted me and said a car's just pulled into the garage. And... Whoever was in the car never got out of and came into the door, into the house that I could see. So we we do now know that was he called his lawyer and the lawyer was recording the conversation. And then we, we left. Obviously, we were pretext. But pretext is used to get information without our target knowing who we are. In this case, we went as a pretext as potential clients. I think when it comes to situations like that, my like uh, sense of security or safety towards mum is probably increased by a solid amount compared to, say, let's just say mum was some rat, just a boss to me. If she was just, like, she was just a boss. She wasn't a family member or my mother. Like, I think I think I see a different sense of security to mum and Amy than, let's say, Adam would or Steve would. Adam and Steve are operatives I've worked with for a very long time. Steve is a British ex-Special Forces, and Adam is an ex-US Marine. So I think in that situation in Kansas, when it got past the three-hour mark, and Adam and I hadn't heard anything from Mum, like, it sounds stupid. Like, obviously, we were, like, trying to light the situation by, like, being like, okay, let's figure out which windows we can climb through. Like, obviously... It's, it's, there's a sense of it being just a joke to lighten the mood, but also at the same time, there's a serious aspect to it. Like, what if there's another two hours goes by and we ha- still haven't heard a thing? Because that's now a five-hour conversation and that doesn't usually happen. So we, like, I think the most joyful part about that was being kind of in that tense situation where there was a little bit of a moment where we kind of felt like shit was really about to go down. We were about to do some, like, SAS-type shit. It was difficult, again, and it's it's drawing that fine line between operational needs and the needs of the target or not blowing your cover. And that particular case, that was bizarre. We were never expected to be inside that long because we thought he would have thrown us out way before then and it worked out who we are but he didn't so we had to take the opportunity to gather information from him while he was freely giving it and while he actually didn't realize who the fuck he was talking to which was a bonus but at the same time we weren't really in a position to give you guys any 
heads up of what was going on because that would have blown the cover and we had to use that opportunity. So I was very conscious at the time that you guys were sat outside and it was, I think it was cold. It was freezing. Yeah. And that you were sat outside in a vehicle, really not knowing what was going on, but in order, you know, you just had to, I suppose you had to put some faith in, and we knew what we were doing. And again, it's that fine line. When do you burst through the door and screw it all up? Or do you, because I know if Harrison had come in, it would have been with all the right intentions, but it, it would have screwed the whole investigation. So it's, it's really hard. And even for me, and then even for the guys, you know, and that's why I work with the guys I work with, because they have, they are capable of making their own judgments sometimes that I don't have to tell them. But um, I know it was difficult for you because four hours sat in a vehicle is a lot longer than four hours sat talking to a target who's giving you information because they don't know who it is. And I think the next day when he realized who we were, that was it. That was total shutdown. That's when we were, that's when you were like, okay, maybe we shouldn't go back to his house until we've come back home, got a new plan now that he knows who you are and then found a different way to attack it. Yeah. I mean, we were fortunate that that four hours happened for regards to the case, but I understand how it, it must've felt for you guys. And really at that point, the only thing that matters for you guys is mine and whoever else I was with safety. Yeah, that's a tough gig to to ask someone to do, especially your son. We do have systems that we will have in place, but um, and and a lot of times we will have audio, like the cases that we spoke about before, and the stalker case. You know, we've all got our comms, secret comms. Like when the police pull us over, they don't know that twelve other people are listening into the conversation that we're having. Um, but sometimes you have to pull that that you have to make a decision whether it's better or worse to have that. And we didn't believe that we were necessarily in huge danger because, because we felt that he would never work out who he was. The problem that when that changed was when the vehicle came in to the garage. And so the, the boys notified us inside. So we were suddenly wait, you know, it was an under, under the house garage that the door opened into the kitchen so we were we weren't in the kitchen but we were away from the kitchen but no one came into the kitchen so we were suddenly aware that somebody we didn't know who at the time had driven in shortly after we'd arrived and was still sat in the garage in a black BMW so for us now we've got an increased risk situation because when we went in we did surveillance before we knew who was in the house it was him and his wife you know, we'd watched that all happen and unfold. We'd picked our particular point to go in. And now suddenly scenarios changed because these guys have told us somebody's in there, but we don't know who it is. They don't know that that person has stayed in their vehicle. So you immediately start to worry why that's the case. But we were in a position with our target that we knew we probably wouldn't get again because he really genuinely didn't know who we were because of our pretext but that's why it's so important to have a team that you can trust you know I would never ever criticize any of my team for coming in and if it you know blew up the operation if they justified to me the right reasons and it would always be a safety reason because I know them then so be it you know 
um, there would never be any criticism. There'd probably be a lot of frustration. And I don't know, Harrison, is it harder for you because I am your mom to sit there and let things unfold? No, I think it's it's harder for me to make a rash decision because I'm the one that has to deal with it a lot longer than if it was just a regular employee. So, like, it's hard for me to be like, okay, let's go in. It's going to ruin it, but let's go in now. Whereas if someone else made the decision, there's a there's going to be a more of a forgiving factor towards that other person just because of the family like relationship type thing. Whereas I, mum, mum will wake up and see my face every day and be like, oh, you're the one that fucked up the the plan but then if it's one of her co-workers they they talk about it he goes home she goes home then they don't talk again for a week and then they can and then it's given mum time to cool down whereas even if it wasn't me that fucked it up I still have to deal with the wrath of it during that week so and it's interesting you say that because I think you and I because we are mum and son will have that instant fallout and shouty match or whatever it might be but then it's, and this is how I see it, and then it's forgotten because you're my son and we move on to everyday normal life. Whereas if it's one of the other team members, it's a work thing. Whereas our life is predominantly family rather than work. And so I see it in a real different way to you, which is interesting. It's also like this. It's also like I'm one of, I'm like the least trained out of all of them. So say Dre decides that he has made a very educated guess and he busts in the door. You can then be like, well, Dre's, Dre's had the experience. He's had the training. He know he knew that the signs were doing it. Like he knew what the signs were. So, and so he knew what to do. Whereas if I do it, it can be a thing of like, you read the situation wrong or you didn't quite like, you didn't get it right. So it gives mom, it gives mom a reason to be more mad because like I, uh, like I could be making a decision off a right. different. But mum very also very much, you know, everything's a learning curve, and you are learning, and you haven't had the experience. And I've chosen to have you there, and you know, want you to be on operations. And so, you know, it, that's also like any other team member that's new to the team, and there, there, there's the, the new team member who screwed up the other week when got dragged out of the car at gunpoint. You know, I was very, very calm. Internally, I was real pissed off, but I was very calm, new to the team, wanted to impress the boss, that kind of situation. A, a bad situation because they were trained, but I do think that probably the mom's son anger would come out, which is no different to me getting you to tidy your room or do your homework. But I think on the professional side, I'm very aware that why you would make a decision. And and to be honest, you probably wouldn't make that decision. You would speak to to Dre or Steve or somebody else first, right? Because you're always crewed up with a an experienced person. But then when you look at you physically as opposed to Dre, and Dre's a decent sized guy, you know, you always stand out physically. And regardless of what you say or what your experience is at times the value to me of just having that physical person who looks huge nine times out of ten it decreases the the anger because 
you know, no one wants to mess with you. That case where the social media girl that we confronted the other week and you stood in front, you didn't, you didn't move your arms. You didn't, you actually kept your hands behind your back and you literally just blocked her. You blocked between me and her. Yeah. That physical presence is really what you're there for. Being a professional athlete has always been my dream goal. But then obviously, like, situations change, things change, and it comes in a realisation that uh, being in the family business is a big part of my life and something that's pretty important to me, my mum and my sister. Being an, an athlete, your passion is fitness, right? Basically, my, my passion for sports and fitness uh, gives gives me an upper hand in joining the family business. I go to the gym every day. I play a, I play a lot of sport. So growing up playing all these sports, it's it's kind of molded me into an above average size guy, which is more than perfect for the role that mum needs me to fill in the family business of being that security and the muscle and like the bodyguard type type role. That's the role that you've slotted into because of all the rest of the stuff that goes on in your life and the, the things that you do. I mean, you're, you're also kind of, your character-wise, you're very alpha male, which is the rest of the team are alpha male. And sometimes that's a problem because there's a lot of alphas in one room. No alpha wants to be beat out by another alpha. Right, okay. And you're the young kid on the block. Yeah, but I'm the young kid, which means I'm also... I also have the best health and fitness, so and I'm the strongest, so... That I don't doubt. I don't doubt at all. But it kind of... This kind of work fits your character, your size. I mean, you love working with with Steve and Dre, right? Yeah, Steve and... How do I word it? Steve and Dre are, are like the, the two perfect people for me to use as a role model, I would say. Like, they're both... They're both absolute hard-headed fucks that don't let you get away with anything. They're stubborn as hell. They're two of the toughest motherfuckers you'll ever meet. They both know how to beat the shit out of anyone, no matter what situation it is. They're both extremely intimidating when they need to be. Steve's a little short, but, you know, we can get over that. But also, at the same time, they're extremely respectful. They have their morals right. So working with those two just works perfectly because they're the perfect role model for someone like me. And and Steve's ex-Special Forces out of the UK and Dre's ex-Navy SEAL. So I think you you kind of, not as like you said, they're role models. They're, they're great mentors for you because they're still, they get to do crazy stuff. And let's face it, your character, you will never do a nine-to-five job. Nah. You will. You're the character who needs to be a professional sports person, or somebody who has got some adrenaline, or lives slightly on the edge, because that's your character. I think you are actually, definitely your mother's son, without a doubt. And that's sometimes why we knock heads, because we are very similar. But I think those guys have so much, many qualities, and a gentleman super good at what they do, live on the edge. And I think that, that it's great that you work with them. And I know that you would 
want to crew with one of them. It's almost like, obviously, Amy and Mum and I are like the family of the business, but it's almost like we're kind of just one big family. Like, I can look at Dre and Steve and genuinely believe in my own head that they were like the two brothers that I just wasn't born with. Like, I can look at them and be like, yeah, you, they, they, they're role models like a fatherly figure, but then... That's the, that's like the only thing I can compare him to to like an an older guy to me because we we play around like we're brothers we we talk shit to each other like we're brothers you know we we beat each other up like we're brothers so it's it's almost like it, it's literally it's kind of like the perfect situation that you never saw coming. Harrison, maybe you'd like to share the story in Africa. On the two occasions within an hour that you got arrested. I didn't get arrested. I got detained. When we went to Africa to work on an operation to capture the rhino poachers, we're on our way home. You've had a long car journey, as we all have. Four plus hours, like I must say. And we stopped at the side of the road to speak to one of those dudes that sells like them little rock sculptures. I really had to pee real bad because obviously it was four and a half hours in a car. So I walked across the street, went behind a bush and started peeing. Next thing I know, I turn around and there's people yelling at me in a language that I cannot understand. So I don't know if they're even talking to me. So I just turn around and keep walking off back towards mum and stuff. And then uh, I'm standing by the van And they come up to us and they tell me that I'm being arrested for peeing on the police station. Yes. Which, bear in mind, there wasn't even a house or a building there. It was just bush. And this is now at gunpoint. Let's just add, this is now at gunpoint with police officers, my 15-year-old son, and the the people who had come to look at the the rock sculptures. Exactly. So that would be around three o'clock in the afternoon. What happened? How did we get out of that? Whipped a $20 bill out of my pocket and gave it to them and they let me go. Okay. So that was your first, your initiation to the corruption of the African police force and how to do business. Okay. So then about three hours later, what happened next? So we're going through the airport and check our luggage in. Everyone, everything's fine. Luggage goes through. We're going through security. Everyone goes through on the last one. And then, of course, I get pulled aside for some reason. And I'm thinking, and he goes, do you have anything in this bag that you're not supposed to have on the plane? And I was like, no, not at all. Like, I've traveled on a plane plenty of times. I know what I can and can't bring. You can either do you give us permission to go through it. And I was like, sure, you're not going to find anything. First thing he does, sticks his hand in there, brings out a fat knife. Mm. bit of context we have knives on us when we're in the bush in africa because obviously it's dangerous and it's just a little bit of self-protection and i just happen to forget that i put it in that particular backpack before we went Mm. to the airport so once again armed police around my 15 year old son yeah they basically i just told him that it was a mistake and i forgot that it was in there and they took it off me and then let me go what are your thoughts, on, and this is just a random throw out there, what are your thoughts when we got the hit on my life and you, you were at home with me then? All I can really remember is having the camera set up in the back of the room 
in the back of the living room and then you had an emergency button, a panic button on like every wall in the house. You came in and you, you slept on the floor in my room because it, and it, I remember it really clearly. It was two, two o'clock in, in the morning and we hadn't slept because that was the day that the police had told us because we'd moved you into the spare room on the third floor because the police had said you had to move out of the bottom room because of the chances of you getting shot through the window were high. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then I remember you came into the into my room and and said that you were scared and I was petrified. Yeah. But again, I don't you know, maybe that was your your protective instinct. Maybe. Maybe but I'm maybe I'm even better than I thought I already was. I actually am left speechless right now. <laughs> what a great place to end. There's no denying the complexity of the dynamic between my son Harrison and I. Having a son as a security operative definitely comes with its own set of challenges. But despite the many scrapes we've had over the years, he will protect anybody before himself. And having that as a trait, he's not just protecting his mum or his sister or family. He really is protecting everybody that's there. And you can't teach that. His character is something that he just has, and it brings so much to the team. He's the fun one. But when the moment matters, Harrison's there. He has my back. Until next time, I'm Nina Hobson, and this has been Codename Siren. Siren.